Wonderful that we have so many of us together. Happy New Year, everyone, whether you're watching in this room, in the other rooms, online. Happy New Year to absolutely all of you. I hope you've had a really restful uh, Christmas, New Year's Eve, whatever you got up to. Uh, Some of us would have been able to have time with family, maybe be able to do some traditions that we've missed out on due to the last couple of years that have been a bit, uh, bit of turmoil that we've been able to get back to, maybe a bit of normality this year. But others of us may have found the last few weeks a bit more difficult. We may have been navigating some of these traditions we've had for years, but without some people there with us who were normally there. Or we may have been working as other people were able to take a break, working to keep people well, to keep people safe. So whatever your experience of the last couple of weeks, my hope is that you were able to encounter the Prince of Peace in this time. So I want to open up with a, with a question. And the question is this, what does God think of you? Now, whatever you believe, whoever you are, you have an answer to this question. You've got an answer to what God thinks of you. And it's this time of year we've been doing it today that we look back and we look ahead. And maybe this is a question for us to think about as we do this. And maybe you're similar to me, that when I look at my life, when I look across everything that goes on, I like to compartmentalize all of my life. I look at how my career is going. I look at how uh, the state of my finances are. I look at my physical, mental health. I look at um, relationships, how they're going. And very strongly, in my case, fantasy football, how my fantasy football team is doing. And, I, and maybe you're like me in terms of that we like to assign success or failure to those different compartments of our life based on the past year. I know for me that I've definitely been failing at fantasy football this year. But there may be some other aspects, some relationships, some friends, things that have gone really well. You've maybe found community for the first time, moved to London, have been able to find community when before it's been struggling. You may have had financial breakthrough and new job provision. You may be facing something a bit more difficult. But all of this is rooted in an expectation of who we're supposed to be. All of us, whoever we are, wherever we're from, have an expectation of how we're supposed to be. Who we're supposed to be as a colleague, who we're supposed to be maybe as a parent, as a friend, and even as a follower of Jesus. That when it comes to our faith, what we trust and believe in, that is not immune from this idea of success and failure. That sometimes when we set our goals of how often we're going to read the Bible, that we're going to do bread all the way through the year, when it gets to around the end of January and February and as it starts to become a bit more difficult, some of those thoughts can start to creep in and say, maybe I'm failing at faith. And these are expectations we maybe have internally. They may be external. They may be some that we hear from other people. They may be from comparison with others, but none of us are immune to this. And we can start to gain some narratives about us that over time, over and over, that we might say over us that we are a failure. And when we bring God into the equation, we can then maybe start to project this onto God. That our expectations of what God says over us, what he thinks about us, is that we need to be everything, have everything together, that we need to be reading our Bible every day, praying every day, being generous, being um, devoted, being kind to everyone. And when I'm not those things, I fail. And when we stand before the maker of heaven and earth, our response is that we think that we're a failure. 
And this is something that I've really been struggling with over the past year. Something I've realized that's something that's been going on for a really long time. On the other hand, you may have gone through some real sufferings this year, some real tough times, trials, things that are completely out of your control, things that you don't have control over. Maybe a family member has died. The career you dreamed of has not come to pass. A health diagnosis, debt, all of these things can come to the surface when we think about what God thinks about us. Surely he can't love me. Surely I can't have these things happen to me if God loves me. And if I'm a failure, there's no chance God loves me because I am not good enough. So whether you're starting this year feeling disappointed, discouraged, depressed, happy, hopeful, or even hungover, there's an importance to remind ourselves what our true identity is. That if we are truly created by the creator, it's down to him to say what our identity is. That it's not down to us to formulate something within us or to hear from other people what we should be. That it's down to the creator to give us our narrative, our identity. The new year, new me tries to remove our history, remove our mistakes, remove the pain and say that actually there's something better for me that I can conjure up within myself. Whereas actually what we see within scripture is that God uses our sufferings, uses our failures to magnify and glorify him. That we can actually start to see more of the things that we long for, more of the goodness, more of the kindness, more of the kingdom of God through those things rather than by avoiding them and pushing them to the side. So what does God think about us? I'm going to do a quick three-part rush through his, uh, human history of God's action towards us. Um, if you'd like to have more detail about this, you can uh, do something, you can read something quite useful, which is called the Bible. Um, so God's relationship with humanity in three parts. First part, Genesis, creation of the world. God created the world perfectly, exactly how he wanted it. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And where is God and what is he doing? He's walking with Adam and Eve. He is close. He's in proximity. He's not a distant deity. Part one. Part two, we see in the Gospels, God being man, Jesus Christ, coming to earth, being with the people, teaching, healing, restoring, and then not only that, he dies on the cross for us. John, 13, John 15, 13 says that greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So not only did God come to earth to be with us, he also then died for us, just demonstrating the most uh, miraculous sign of love that could possibly have happening, happened in history, which is someone dying for his friends. Notice friends. And then lastly, revelation. What we hear to happen in the future, when Jesus returns, What's going to happen? 21 verse 3 of Revelation says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. That all throughout history, past and future, God's entire desire is to be with us, in relationship with us, in close proximity to us, to not be a distant deity, but to be close to us. His movement is towards us. He's the one who's making these moves towards you. So if you're standing off saying, no, I'm a failure, if you're saying, no, I'm suffering too much, I'm in too much pain, God is already moving towards you. 
he's desperate for a relationship with you. Now, some of you might say, okay, you may want relationship, but what kind of relationship? You know, there's all sorts of relationships we can have. Some of us might think, you know, similarly to some of the ancient Near Eastern creation narratives, that humanity was created to work and provide for God. But actually, this is not what we see in Jesus. Romans 8, verse 14 to 16 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Our primary identity as followers of Jesus is as children. We've been set free from these narratives of failure. We've been set free from all of these things because we are not fearful slaves. We are children. We are not work to work and strive for God's affection. He's already there moving towards us. And as children, all we need to do is to receive it. And when a truly loving parent looks at a child, they don't think you're a success or a failure. They just love them. They just want to be in presence with them. And yes, they correct them pick them up when things go wrong, you know, correct them so that they don't make sure they don't run into the street and things like this. But it's never a failure. So when we can call God, the maker of heaven and earth, our father, this is the biggest freedom that we could ever experience. That as our identity of, as of our identity as children of God gives us this freedom to move away from these ideas of failure and for us to be restored I want to take you back to 2013 when I had just finished my first year at university. My first year of um, independence, first year of trying things out. Um, and I ended up in a situation realizing that I was thinking that I was a massive failure. I'd uh, attempted uh, to navigate a couple of relationships that didn't go the way that I wanted to. And I had this expectation from somewhere that I needed to get it right first time. And because I hadn't, I had these uh, feelings that I was a failure. And on top of that, I also had uh, grief that I was dealing with, some suffering. Uh, a grandparent had recently passed away. And I was in a, at a gig with some friends uh, just at the end of the year. We'd finished all of our exams, and I just had to leave. I said, sorry, guys, I'm not feeling too good. So I headed back to my halls of accommodation. And I started to have all of this emotion build up at this moment. And I was saying to God, look, I'm suffering, I'm not, I'm grieving, where are you? And then I was feeling like a failure at the same time. So I was saying, God, where are you? I'm not good enough. Where are you? Why did you let me do these things? And all this emotion was building up in me, all of this energy, and I didn't know what to do. And in the end, I just ran. I just put on some trainers and I just ran down a long street in Southampton where I was. I got to the point, um, the end point of all of the emotion and energy within me and also getting quite close to a club, one of the most popular clubs. So I stopped before I got there, and I sat down in a car park, and I just wept. I just wept. I tried calling some, a couple of friends, a couple of mentors. No one was answering. I just wept. I was at the end of myself. And at that point, my phone buzzed. Someone called me, one of those mentors, and they said, I tried probably explaining what was going on, probably in a really garbled and not very good way, and all I remember them saying was, why didn't you just wait and hear from God? I was like, great advice, obviously. 
What do you think I'm doing sat in a car park in Waitrose? <laughs> but anyway, I turned around and started walking home. And I was really at the end of myself at this point. I was like, God, super frustrated, super disappointed, um, feeling like a failure. And when I was right at the end of myself, that is when, as soon as I got in, I heard the voice of God speak so clearly over me. You are my son, and in you I am well pleased. And at that moment, all of those feelings of failure, all of those feelings of grief, could just be handed straight over to the creator of heaven and earth. That because I'm a son, I don't need to strive, I don't need to work for anything. I don't need to become something or prove something to him. I'm a child. And in him, he's already really pleased with me. He's desired me. He's wanted me. And this is the same for every single one of us. Every single one of you in this room, in each of the rooms, online, every single person is a child of God that he is desperately pleased with you and he is desperate for a relationship with you. I obviously then started to have some doubts around this. Maybe I just made this up. I've heard this story before. And three weeks later, around that time, I went to a Christian festival with my family. I heard a talk. Can't remember the talk. Heard some ministry time. Can't remember what it was. But I had someone pray over me. And they said, I just get the sense that God wants to remind you that you are his son and in you he is well pleased. I couldn't run away anymore. <laughs> I had to accept it, and it's something I carry with me all of the time now, a constant battle that I'm not failure, that I am a son of God. And this is the same for you, adopted into the family of God, that you are a child of God. So what's our response to this? What is the response to this good news? That we are to be children and not workers. I've got three suggestions. Firstly, it's to be with Jesus. To be with him, simply. To put aside distraction, put aside the noise of the narratives, and just to be with him. We've seen this through, throughout scripture. We see this in his uh, coming as Jesus. We've seen this in our own lives as a testimony. That through the Holy Spirit, we can have intimacy whenever and wherever we are. That it's not based on our feelings, it's not based on a location. It's based on who he is and who he says we are. We gather together as a community every Sunday. We sing these songs, we pray, we listen and speak to God, and we hear scripture. We do all of those things because we're desperate to be with Jesus, not because it's some tick box exercise to make God feel happy. He's just desperate to be with us. And as a community, this is what we try to do. We try and be with Jesus, to worship his name and to hear from him. And as we've talked about, this is in the highs and the lows. This is in the good times and the bad. That when we're on this journey of life, navigating the mountains and the valleys, what we need at that moment is a guide. A guide to get us through this terrain. And what better guide than the maker of earth to guide us through that terrain? And it doesn't remove the steep inclines. It doesn't remove the jumps of faith. It doesn't remove the falls. But what it does is provides a certainty and security of the hope that we have, that the destination is secure, that the mountaintop is going to be reached, whether it's this life or the next, that we can hope for what God has for us. We're with someone who knows the way. 
And secondly, as we're close, as we have intimacy, proximity to Jesus, we can then start to become more and more like him. When he asks us to come and be disciples, he's asking us to be in a relationship as an apprentice. Now, we don't have this kind of terminology or or many of our careers or jobs follow this idea, but it was very common at the time, and it's one that's helpful for us just to step into when it comes to knowing Jesus. Eugene Peterson said this, Disciple says we are people who spend our lives apprentice to our master, Jesus Christ. We are in a growing, learning relationship always. A disciple is a learner, not in the academic sense of a schoolroom, rather at the worksite of a craftsman. As apprentices, we try things out. We show things to our maker. We make mistakes. We are corrected and we navigate and we move on. We're not trying to hide away. We're not trying to bring all of our um, suffering and keep it to ourselves, all of our failures and keep it to ourselves. But we bring it to the master who will help us in this growing learning relationship. Rather than a self-giving new me every year, we have the opportunity to become like Jesus every single day. And one of the pools of our culture now is to say that we must have it now. Immediacy. It's only good if you can have it immediately. We're aiming for efficiency. We're aiming to get to the destination as quick as possible. But there are some moments in our lives where we know that we can't cut the corner. A farmer waiting for the harvest. A midwife waiting with an expectant mother for new life. And when it comes to Jesus and becoming like him, this takes time. We can't rush this. Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche touched on this when he wrote, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. This is why it's important for us to recognize the highs and the lows when it comes to faith. Because if we're only there for the highs, as soon as the lows come, we're gone, we're out. Or if this is only something that really uh, stirs in us when we're in the valleys, when things are tough and I'll turn to God then, but as soon as things start coming together, I'm going to go off on my own way, then we're going to lose out. We're going to lose out on that intimacy with Jesus. And then the last thing, that as we spend time with Jesus, we're with Jesus and we start becoming like him, we end up start doing the things that he did. Many of us have a longing to see healing, to find purpose, to be set free, and to see this in other people's lives, to see people free of addiction, poverty, depression, and loads of other things. But this can only be fully realized in Jesus Christ. That we can only be effective at seeing these things if we are close to Jesus, if we become like him, and then he's the one that will show us how we do this. Humanity has tried in so many ways, ups and downs, systems, failures, all the time trying to remove pain, remove suffering, and we keep on messing it up. But in the kingdom of God, he is the one that will do those things, and he is the one who will point us in the right direction. For us to know where he is looking to heal and restore, we need to be close. We need to hear his voice. So if you're entering into this new year, feeling like a failure, broken the law, broken a relationship, or just feeling broken. There is a healer that wants to put you back together, that wants a relationship with you, that he's longing to be with you, to see you on the mountaintop, 
then he can shape us into his likeness, make us an instrument for his use, for his kingdom to come on this earth, to see all the things that we long for. He can restore whatever is lost. If you're grieving a person right now, can I point out that you're grieving the loss of a relationship, not an existence of a person? That you're grieving the, you're missing out on the touch or the affectionate word or the kindness that's shown towards you. But in all of those things, Jesus can offer us that too, and if not more. That when we suffer, when we're grieving, actually we can reach out to Jesus and he will provide that to us too. That there is fullness in the kingdom of God.